Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 241 being recorded on Tuesday, October 20th, 2020. That's a lot of 20s. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. And as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. We are 20 days into the fourth quarter and 11 a day, 11 days away from Halloween Retailers would say we're squarely in holiday mode. Consumers would say um, it's not Thanksgiving yet, so we're about 30 days out. Regardless of which side of the fence you're on there, most of you are probably on the retail side, um, we want to use this episode to do a really deep dive into what we can expect this holiday 2020. We've already previewed some of this with our thoughts around Shipageddon and whatnot and some of the, the numbers that are out there, but we're going to go deep. And to go deep, we thought we would bring out the king of e-commerce and retail data, Andrew Lipsman. Andrew has been at three of the top retail data companies, NPD, Comscore, and most recently, he is at eMarketer as a principal analyst. Also, we are excited to have him uh, give us a sneak peek exclusive to Jason Scott Show listeners um, with the first view of this public holiday forecast from eMarketer before it hits the interwebs later this week. Andrew, welcome to the show, and thanks for giving our listeners a, a sneak peek. Hey, thanks for having me. We are thrilled to have you on the show, Andrew, and it's super exciting that you're helping keeping our audience at the very bleeding edge of insight and predictions. Um, but before we jump into all that, we always like to start by getting to know a little bit about our guests. Um, so, you know, Scott kind of mentioned the highlights, but can you give us a, a little bit of detail about how you got into the the analyst world and and uh, what you're doing now at eMarketer? Yeah, so I've been in market research uh, pretty much my whole career. As Scott mentioned, NPD, working on CPG clients for a few years. Um, and then I jumped to Comscore in uh, November of 2005. And actually, I walked into that company the same week that Cyber Monday became a thing. Um, so that was kind of my initiation to the world of e-commerce. I really knew nothing about it coming in and learned uh, very quickly drinking from the fire hose. Um, over the next 12 years, um, I led the marketing insights group at Comscore, had a chance to cover all things digital um, with e-commerce, you know, kind of being a, a key tent pole for me every year, but all the di different digital trends from digital video to advertising, social, mobile, et cetera. Um, and then coming up on three years now, I've been at eMarketer, um, as the principal analyst for retail and e-commerce. That's awesome. And I, I heard you just started doing this new thing uh, called forecasting the holiday, right? Is this going to be your first year where you forecast holiday? Uh, no, I've been at it for a while. So um, I've actually been working on holiday forecasts uh, back since 2006, uh, my second year at, at Comscore. Um, now, I would say I am not the uh, quantitative folks who are doing the heavy-duty Excel work behind the forecasts, um, but I am providing qualitative input. Um, and so in 15 years, I'd say I've gotten pretty comfortable with understanding the key variables that go into um, holiday e-commerce. Um, and many years, I'd say it's almost gotten kind of easy 
Uh, but this year I think is going to be very, very different. And uh, one of the, actually will probably be the hardest to predict. There's only one other season um, that really compares anywhere close to this one. Awesome. Um, well, before we jump into the exclusive for Jason and Scott show listener sneak peek uh, of your forecast, let's start at 30,000 foot view. Plus I love to build the suspense. Um, Jason's like about to fall off his chair right now. I can tell. So let's make him wait. Um, so I would love to hear as a data guy, you know, you've, you've been at this a while and I'm sure you've refined how, how you come at it. I would love to kind of start there and say, well, what are the inputs you look at? And maybe more importantly, what are some of the inputs you don't look at? And maybe if, you know, how are you applying that to holiday 2020? Yeah. So in a normal year, the recipe really starts, and this is for e-commerce specifically, um, really looking closely at August data, that back to school season ends up being very predictive for the growth rate for the holiday season. So I start with your thinking that August is kind of that the fundamentals heading into the season. That's your baseline. Um, and then there's just a couple of, of key variables that we looked at after that. Um, any shifts in key macroeconomic factors, unemployment, obviously, if, if that's changing and people um, are, are losing jobs, then you have to calibrate for that because that's less disposable income. Consumer confidence, how they feel about you know, extending their credit into the season. And then gas prices is one of those things that can just put more money in people's pockets or take money out. Um, pretty simple. And then the key piece, and, and one that I don't think folks often look to very much, but actually can end up making, you know, a percentage point or two difference every year is just how the holiday calendar falls. Um, so when you have those years with the really compressed holiday season with only 27 or t- even 26 days between Thanksgiving and Christmas, um, that does tend to squeeze spending. People may prioritize gifts and still get all those purchases done, uh, but they may spend a little bit less on themselves. So it can uh, dampen the growth rate. Sometimes you have those extended seasons that are 32 days, um, and that can maybe boost it by a point or two. Um, so those are, in a normal year, kind of the, the key factors. So you've, you've qualified like four times in there a normal year. So <laughs> what, uh, so then you have all that. And then now we've got this raging pandemic. Um, what have you done to kind of tweak the model based on kind of unique circumstances of, that 2020 offers? Yeah. Well, first off, I, I will say that almost all of those factors have been completely overwhelmed by pandemic conditions. Um, but, but I'll start by taking you back to 2008, which was the hardest uh, forecast that we ever had to predict. If you can remember how the financial crisis happened, um, August wouldn't be very predictive because things still looked okay in August of that year. And then September and October, things dropped very quickly. Um, and we were starting to get readings. E-commerce at the time was growing about 17 or 18%, I think. And all of a sudden, we were seeing that number drop into negative territory almost overnight. Um, that year, we went out on a limb with our prediction and saying that we were expecting flat growth for the season, 0%. And other analysts were still predicting uh, double-digit growth, you know, low double digits. They were maybe taking their initial estimates down from 17 or 18% to 11 or 12. Um, but they still thought e-commerce was going to grow. And um, we said 0%. It ended up being negative 3 for the year. Um, I, I liken it to trying to catch a falling knife that year. But what was interesting about that year is that um, there was really only one vector 
that was changing the forecast. And that was consumer demand. Um, you know, e-commerce is really kind of discretionary consumer demand. And um, it fell very quickly, but that was the one thing that we needed to figure out. Um, this year, I think is much more complex because one, you have the consumer demand vector. Um, but even within that, it's not just as simple as everything getting affected the same way. You have unbelievable, unbelievable variants across categories because of how the pandemic is changing consumer needs, uh, whether it's no need for apparel or, you know, a lot of need for consumer electronics around back to school or um, work from home. The other key vector then is, of course, channel shifting and people, you know, continue to toggle back and forth between when they're comfortable only shopping online versus shopping in stores. Um, so trying to take those two very orthogonal vectors and make sense of it has been especially difficult. Ooh, orthogonal vectors. That's uh, that's good stuff. You're speaking my language now. The It's always good for your vectors to have ortho, orthogonality. <laughs> so I have a thousand questions. I'll try not to spend too much time on the background, but I think this is helpful. So it feels like somewhere in there, you're going to have to assume you know, what the pandemic does, right? Because if we're going to have a terrible W-shaped uh, situation like Jason predicts, all gloom and groom and grinchy, then that's going to have a different impact than a sharp V recovery like I predict. Um, did, is there an underlying pandemic prediction inside of here? Yeah. I mean, I think the key thing is we expect pandemic conditions to last through the year. Um, you know, our forecast back in the spring was very different in terms of what we expected by the second half in the holiday season. We've obviously had to change that. Um, I, I will say, though, I kind of look at it through the lens of the bifurcated economy, where you do still have a lot of struggling folks in the lower and middle income segments. Um, and some of those stimulus funds now have run out, so they may be running on fumes. Uh, but, you know, in the, the more affluent uh, incomes, I think you are sitting in a, a pretty good position. Uh, people are confident the stock market is, is up. Um, and, and then also, you know, people are not vacationing. So you have all of these buckets of, of discretionary spending or going to restaurants that's now getting funneled in, into retail. So um, I think that's going to prop it up. And overall, things are healthier than I would have expected. Yeah. And uh, for listeners that are playing Jason and Scott Bingo, you can check bifurcation off. And uh, then we also have orthogonal vectors. So so that's good. You're uh, you're pinging right through there. Okay. Last question on this. Um, so the way you've described it is kind of like what I would call more of a bottoms up. You're, you're kind of saying, you know, all right, I looked at back to school and all these factors. Um, uh, uh, that's more of a top down. Do you do a bottoms up where you then kind of say, well, let me also look at a bunch of categories and it seems like you would need to, for the pandemic, you mentioned, you know, and within there, you're going to score down fashion, let's say, and up home and, and some of the trends we've seen. Um, is there a, a bottoms up and a tops down approach and you like triangulate or, or how does how does all that come together in, in the final cake? Yep, absolutely. And then it, it's not just categories. So we're doing detailed analysis in all the categories as well and top retailers. Um, so if you put all those pieces together, you start to get a, a pretty uh, rounded picture. Ooh, so somewhere in there, you've got a Amazon, Walmart, Target kind of forecast as well. Yeah. And, you know, we do a top 10 uh, e-commerce forecast that um, most folks are familiar with. We, we do a few more retailers beyond that. Um, once you account for those retailers, you're already talking about 65 or 70% of the e-commerce market. Yeah. 
Uh, and then this is, uh, so that I said the last one was the last one, but this is really the last one. The, so we had the, uh, you know, the, the census data guys on, and it was really interesting because it's really hard to think about like BOPUS and curbside pickup, right? Like, is that e-commerce or not? Where, where do you fall on that? Is that if, if there was a buy, buy online pickup in store kind of situation, is that going to be in your e-commerce side or is that you're going to be on your retail side? That is e-commerce. It counts towards those numbers. Um, I would say, though, as you think out about our numbers into the future, understanding that behavior, you have to understand it as sort of a component of retail um, because really that is symptomatic, I think, of a lot of temporary channel shifting. There's certainly certainly an emerging behavior with click and collect, uh, but a lot of that is people who want to buy at the big box retailers um, but they prefer not to go into the store right now. In the future, they'll go back. I'm surprised, Andrew. There's a couple of vectors that you always hear about that you didn't mention. In a normal year, tons of people publish all these stated preference surveys, and they're like, do you plan to give more gifts or less gifts, spend more this year or less this year? It sounds like you don't use any of that kind of qualitative stated preference data in your in your forecast. Do I have that right? I look really strongly at behavioral data. I, I think those are the strongest signals. Um, you know, if I see huge variance in survey data and stated preferences, that might get taken into account. But in general, um, what people say they're going to do and what they actually do can often be very different. That was a total trick question because I'm super cynical about stated preference data, especially around holiday. I feel like there's never been a correlation between what people say they're going to spend on gifts and what they actually spend. Oh, the perils of survey data. Yeah. But another one that comes up that I'm all, I'll confess I'm also cynical on is in a normal year, a big vector everyone always talks about is the weather. <laughs> um, I, I, so I love knocking down a lot of these things. So I think the whole weather thing is while it can have an impact on an individual day or an in individual geography that is totally overstated, it really, I think, comes from retail CEOs liking to have the act of God excuse. Um, and there's also a very strong media bias whenever there's a snowstorm in New York, right? This becomes an excuse for what's going to happen to e-commerce. Um, it, it just, it never falls out that way. We've actually tried to test this over the years. And the most we could ever find in some of the biggest storms were like the smallest, smallest differences. Yeah. I, I tend to feel like it's also self-normalizing. Like if you have a really harsh winter, you, you sell a lot more winter apparel and you sell a lot more heavy coats and things like that. Um, if it's a mild winter somewhere, like people are out and about more and go to stores more often. So it's almost like uh, a little self-normalizing to the extent that it does have any impact. Um, and then this is obviously an extraordinary year. And you mentioned a lot of the vectors that are difficult to predict this year. I'm assuming a lot of them were also contradictory, right? Like I think of, for example, I've seen some data that like savings rates are uncharacteristically high and yet consumer confidence is understandably pretty low, right? So you got to kind of figure out how all those things play against each other. Exactly. There's a much more predictable amount of disposable income that people will spend in a normal year. Um, if people have a stable job um, and they're all of a sudden not spending huge portions of their discretionary budget, how much of that ends up then going back into retail spending. I don't know. There's a lot more variance around that number, um, you know, from consumer to consumer. So that's where I think a lot of the variance comes in this season. 
Uh, awesome. Well, given all of that uncertainty, let's jump into it. What uh, is going to happen this holiday? So uh, I'll begin with the total retail number. We are um, surprisingly expecting growth of 0.9%, so very marginal growth uh, to just over $1 trillion for the season. It'll be the second straight season breaking that trillion dollar threshold for November and December. Um, if you had asked me back in uh, April or even May, if we would see positive growth in the holiday season, I would have said no way. Um, so to me, that's kind of a, a silver lining, even though it's uh, obviously a bit lower than we've seen the last few years. Um, I think the big headline is that e-commerce is projected to grow 35.8% to $190 billion. That's an incremental $50 billion in spending on e-commerce versus last year's holiday season. Um, and then brick and mortar is going to decline 4.7% to $823 billion. So basically, this brick and mortar hole um, is going to be completely filled and then some by e-commerce. Uh, I'm going to call that good news. And a, a couple of sort of qualifying questions there. Like, so e-commerce growth at 35% versus last holiday or 35.8. Um, what is a typical year of e-commerce growth? Like, what was last year? So you can go back a lot of years and it's kind of 15% plus or minus a few percentage points. Um, as e-commerce has started to mature, we've seen that number maybe in the 13% range the last few years. Um, so that's pretty typical. So yeah, so so we're talking more than double the typical e-commerce growth rate. Easily more than double. Yep. Yep. And then brick and mortar, uh, or maybe even so total retail. I know there's some more variance here, but like a typical year is like three and a half or four percent growth. That's right. Yeah. When that when the economy is fairly healthy. Yep. Yeah. And so we're looking at just under one percent versus four percent. So definitely, while not a negative year, a a down year. And then one last question is, I know you are super aware, everyone has a different definition of retail. So what is in that number? Is uh, Does that include automobile? Does it include grocery? Does it include restaurant? What's it, not restaurants, but it includes gas and auto. So that's a key uh, part of it that inflates the number um, overall. Now, it's also why our e-commerce penetration definition um, is lower on average. So we're expecting this holiday season to reach 18.8% e-commerce penetration by that definition that includes gas and auto. Um, so that's actually a really high number that that number is typically in you know low double digits. Um, that said, if you take out gas and auto, you're talking about a number that's about six percentage points higher. So essentially 25% of e-commerce will, or of retail this holiday season will happen online. Wow. And it's funny, I, I tease one of your former employees, Comscore, because they use a really narrow definition. I mean, they, they state all of them, but they use a really narrow definition of retail. Like they pull grocery out, they, they pull like health services out. And so they always report a very high percentage penetration. Well, and I was part of that decision back in the day. And I will say... <laughs> That at the time in which that decision was made, uh, grocery online was so negligible that I think it could be justified at this point. And, and we've had these discussions at, at uh, eMarketer. Um, obviously, grocery now is 4% or so um, online and you know even higher if you expand the definition beyond food and beverage. 
Um, so it just doesn't it make sense at this point to exclude that from the denominator. No, no. And I, I think that is the funny thing, right? Is there, there was a time when if you were talking about e-commerce, you'd say, well, those categories aren't eligible for e-commerce. No one's buying bananas or cars online. Um, like arguably now all of it is right. Like, uh, certainly grocery got a, a huge kiss, um, from COVID, but so did automobile surprise. You know, I, I, I should maybe not say surprisingly. Yeah. Carvana. Exactly. Tons of dealers are now selling cars on like, so the manufacturer in most cases can't sell direct, but, but a ton of dealers, even small dealers are now doing a significant volume of, of, uh, automobile e-commerce. So it's interesting. Yeah. Um, but in, I digress. Uh, so 18.8% penetration and pre COVID, what, like, what would, like, by that definition of retail, what would you, what, what was typical penetration? Uh, well, it's always a, a bit higher in the holiday season. So I think our, in our prior forecast pre COVID, uh, we are expecting it to be somewhere in the 14% range for the holiday season. So a, a pretty big boost. Yep. And then a, a super common talking point is, COVID propelled us X years in the future in five minutes. Um, so pre-COVID, do you remember like what year you would have predicted a 19% penetration? Uh, so some of our forecasting analysts have calculated this and they said it basically pushed us two to three years into the future. Yeah. And I would argue like overall that makes that that seems totally viable and it's wide variance based on categories, right? Like there were categories that were already heavily digitally penetrated and they maybe were a little more linear where there were categories that weren't very digitally penetrated and they're probably more exponential. Gr grocery, you could be four or five years into the future. Absolutely. Um, now, one of the, the interesting points I've started to get some pushback on is that, um, you know, as we get out into 2021, th there's, I think there's this assumption out there that once we reach this new penetration level, that that is the new normal. Um, I don't think that's entirely the case. I think we're going to have to kind of give back some of those gains as some behaviors normalize. It's, you know, it's driven both by the numerator of e-commerce and the denominator, which is largely driven by brick and mortar. So as brick and mortar recovers and expands, that number is going to sort of come down all else equal. E-commerce will still continue to grow faster. Uh, but I think people should sort of reset their expectations that we're not going to continue to see this kind of exponential trajectory and that things kind of have to flatten out for a year or two. So the growth can catch up with itself. Yeah. So, uh, let it, let's dive into that just a little bit more. So the, um, in my mind, there are categories where the, the, the transition to digital is likely to be more permanent. Like if, if, uh, Walmart had 25 million, mobile app users on their grocery app before COVID, and now they have 50 million, um, one can presume they'll continue to use that mobile app for some of the time, right? So so that digital transition could be more sticky. If they're simply not going to the store for safety reasons, and they're, and they're eager to go back to restoration hardware as soon as they can, then that transition to online furniture probably isn't as sticky. Um, the the thing that uh, I, I have heard a lot of interesting speculation around is there's a ton of variance in data, but a lot of people are saying that traffic in general, foot traffic in stores is down about 25%. Um, and so then a couple magic questions come up. Is that traffic ever going to come back? And I've actually heard people 
speculate that it's not. And at the moment, a common behavior is consolidation of trips. So like traffic's way down at Walmart, like, uh, but revenue is actually up because people are making fewer trips, but they're spending a lot more in the trips they do make. Like, are you thinking at all about any of those trends? And do you have a position about like which of those might be permanent trends versus tertiary? Yeah. <clears throat> so I think for most established behaviors, um, they will kind of regress towards the trajectory that they were on before in the direction. Um, grocery is a category that I think is permanently changed. And the reason is you have a lot of new first-time online grocery users who were compelled to do this and otherwise wouldn't have done it. People like my parents. Um, you also have people maybe like me who was a uh, couple times a year online grocery shopper, usually just when I wanted the convenience because I was coming back from vacation to an empty fridge. Beyond that, I didn't do it. Um, if I go from two times a year to maybe six or eight times a year in the future, which is totally feasible, uh, you know, I have some sort of habit formation around it. That's a big difference in behavior. So I think that has permanently shifted. Um, if I think about a category like apparel, people were already mixing between online uh, and brick and mortar. And they had different times or different use cases when they wanted to go into the store and touch and feel and all those things that you go to brick and mortar for and other times where e-commerce just provided convenience. So I don't see, I see that category kind of normalizing over time. Um, I think most categories will probably normalize, but we will see some patterns that get baked in a bit more. To your question about um, consolidating trips, I do think to the extent that we are doing a lot more pre-shopping and trip planning, some of that will probably get pulled into the future. Um, so while I don't think you're going to continue to see Walmart's you know, average basket size jump by 27%, as I think it did last quarter, um, I wouldn't be surprised to see it you know, increase a bit more than it otherwise would have. Yeah, it, to me, that's going to be one of the most, I have no idea what's really going to happen, but it's going to be one of the most interesting things, right? Like if there were a bunch of retailers that won in this trip consolidation, um, and they tended to be ones with bigger assortments, it's going to be really interesting to see if those retailers can hang on to those customers or if the specialty retailers get those visits back. Um, the uh, sort of uh, pivoting a little bit, do you have a perspective about how Prime Day um, being in October impacts holiday? Like, is are they is that successfully going to pull holiday earlier? Um, I know you had a a Prime Day forecast, and I, I do want to talk to you a little bit about that. Um, but in general, do you think we're going to see more holiday sales in October, and therefore the the Turkey Five could be a little lighter than usual, or how do you see that playing out? Well, I'm going to say yes and no, um, and, and, and I'll tell you what I mean here. So first off, I, another one of my favorite narratives, when you cover retail every year, you hear the same narratives that you know that retailers try and pull holiday shopping earlier and earlier. And I think a lot of the genesis of that is that you see the, the holiday promotions in stores beginning in October. Um, I don't know how responsive consumers are to that. Uh, Jason, you would know better than I do. At, at brick and mortar, but certainly in e-commerce, that's never been the case. Consumers really tend to start their shopping around the cyber five period, uh, at least in earnest. Um, 
But the reason that happens is because there's coordination on behalf of both retailers and their promotions and consumers wanting to kick off their shopping at that point. To me, why shopping actually will get pulled forward this year is because Prime Day has created a new tent pole close enough to the season that you have this coordination among consumers and retailers. So, And more importantly, I think it's gotten consumers thinking about these purchases earlier in the season. So now they're really primed for you know the next six weeks, I think, before um, the Cyber 5 period, that they're going to be much more open and receptive to messages, even if there's probably going to be something of a lull here uh, before activity starts to really pick up again. We also, by the way, have you know an important presidential election that will probably provide a bit of a early November distraction. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting because in a normal year, I mean, retailers always want to pull in sales early, right? Like that that's not a new phenomenon, um, mostly because they want to get to that consumer's wallet before that consumer has a chance to spend that wallet anywhere else. Um, this year, I, I do legitimately think I could tell you I have a ton of clients that are really concerned about a bunch of factors later in holiday uh, ship a get in being one and inventory levels being another. And so they they very legitimately are urging customers to shop early, but the irony is they have a complete credibility gap, right? So they're they're all putting messages in market about how you should shop early and we're not going to have better deals later in the season. But of course, I don't think consumers are buying it at all. I think if they see a deal now, they're going to expect to see a bigger deal on Black Friday. Yeah, consumers may not believe it, but I think they'll be driven by their own impulse, which is that consumers, I think, are actually concerned about uh deliveries getting to them on time. They're concerned about product scarcity in a way that they haven't been in other seasons. So, um, and, and by the way, they're home and doing a lot of online shopping anyway. So I, I do think we will see a real pull forward effect this year. So I had mentioned Prime Day forecast. Uh, your forecast was around, was just under 10 billion. Is that right? Was it? Yeah, we, we projected 43% growth to 9.91 billion. Got you. And how? And do you have a position on how how it played out? Um, so the data. So at first of all, I've seen some reports that I think were not great. That um, were a little conspiratorial because Amazon didn't uh, tout other numbers and were just pushing the third party sales numbers. Um, I take that as as you know, just wanting to kind of message things in favor of SMBs. Um, given everything else that's going on. That's the antitrust messaging. <laughs> yes. So, um, and there was some traffic data that was reported that said, you know, flat growth. I don't think that was a, a great third-party source for, for this specific data. Um, Edison Trends was the one that I looked at most closely because it's based on actual sales data. And that's a 36% growth, um, which which kind of felt right to me. But then, you know, the the numbers that we do know are Amazon said... 60% growth in third-party sales to $3.5 billion. So that's real numbers. Um, but then we also saw a Marketplace Pulse report that said that two-thirds of sales that they were seeing were, um, were first-party. So if you just do the quick math on that, um, that actually gets you to a number of about $10 billion or even a little bit more than $10 billion. Um, so I think directionally, our forecast was probably fairly well in the ballpark. That's that's just the Amazon. Um, any thoughts on knock-on effects? So 
So the Salesforce folks were out there reporting through their data that they were seeing pretty big spikes at non-Amazon retailers. Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen everyone benefit. Um, Amazon, you know, definitely takes share on these days, uh, but everyone can get into the act. Um, I, I think it's increasingly important for them not to concede mind share to Amazon, especially on the cusp of the holiday season. So uh, I think they did well to run those promotions, generate some a bump in sales, and you know, get consumers uh, not locked in exclusively to Amazon going into the season. Very cool. So it seems like, uh, so we haven't jumped into it. One of my favorite topics is Shipageddon. Do you think, um, do you factor that in your forecast? Is there some, um, you know, expectation that as we get through the Cyber Five, we'll, we'll talk about what you think some of those days look like. But, um, you know, I'm thinking Cyber Monday could just really jam the whole system up for a couple of weeks. There could be so many packages. Are, are you thinking that plays a factor or, or what is your thinking on Shipageddon? I think it's going to factor into thinking from consumers. Um, it, I think it can hit sales growth on the margins, especially later in the season. Um, but a lot of those sales that might have gotten clipped from e-commerce in the past, I'm talking about, let's say, past you know December 14th and when free shipping days. Um, this year, a lot of them are going to stay within the channel because they're just going to migrate to click and collect purchases. So, um, So I think you'll see, you know, at that point in the season, Amazon lose some relative share and that share go right into the pockets of the big box retailers, for example. Um, but broadly speaking, I don't think that that's going to have a, a huge impact on the overall growth rate for e-commerce. Got it. Um, and then how about, uh, is this holiday shorter or longer? Um, so we're on the short end. This holiday season, uh, last year was the shortest possible at 26 days. Um, so then it usually kind of gets one day longer every year because of the leap year, we actually get two extra days. So one benefit there is it gives you kind of a, a better comp when you have that two day adjustment. Um, but 28 days is still kind of on the shorter end of holiday seasons. 2020 has been so long. I forgot it was a leap year. <laughs> it feels like a decade ago. It's the biggest leap year ever. They added five years to this year. <laughs> so mixed results on pulling holiday in early. Uh, when I ask you if Cyber 5 was going to be maybe a little lighter, I think I got to know. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, so the whole pie is getting so much bigger for e-commerce e this holiday season. And, and what's going to end up happening is it's just going to concentrate more around the tent pulls. Um, every single year, Cyber 5 gets more and more important. Thanksgiving, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, every single year they grow um, at a, a faster rate than the benchmark. So we expect that to continue. Um, I think Thanksgiving is going to be especially interesting this year. It's now the third biggest uh, e-commerce shopping day of the season. We expect it to jump 49.5% to $6.18 billion. Um, and the reason for the huge growth rate is so many retailers are closing their doors that day. Um, and you know, this is really the first year also that um, retailers are closing their doors when mobile commerce has been a thing. So I think of Thanksgiving as the ultimate day for couch commerce. Um, Black Friday is going to be our first ever $10 billion day. It's going to jump just under 40% to $10.2 billion. Um, but then that will be quickly surpassed by Cyber Monday, which will jump 38% to $12.89 and be the heaviest uh, spending day in history. 
Got you. And so some of Cyber like so Cyber Monday was originally um structural, right? Like uh you you had your vacation and you went home, you had way better internet at home. You may have not even had a computer at home. And so obviously you stole all your boss's infrastructure to shop on Monday. Um that's of course not true anymore. Every everybody's digital, everyone has access. But now uh, people aren't even going to work on Monday, right? So I assume the main reason that Monday is still such a big pillar is because it's it's now a habit and it and in general digital tends to be more promotional on that day. Is that do I have that right? It's expectations and, and the coordination between retailer and consumer. Um, so in the same way that you know we saw this sort of growth rate on Prime Day this year, although we don't know for certain. Um, Let's assume that that Edison forecast is or, or report in is, is in the ballpark. Yeah. yeah. So, so that points you to these growth rates, you know, well into the thirties, maybe 40% range. Um, so I see no reason not to uh, expect that that will happen for cyber Monday this year. Yeah. Do you, uh, I'm curious if you been watching digital at all for the weekend weekday trend. So like an interesting thing in brick and mortar, ordinarily the, Brick and mortar does much better on the weekend, right? Yeah. So particularly grocery, people don't have time to shop for groceries during the week. So Saturday and Sunday are the biggest days. One of the impacts of the pandemic is that the sales have leveled out across all the days because people can shop on a Tuesday just as easily as they can shop on a Sunday. Um, I'm curious if you've seen any any change in the digital behavior in terms of the weekly cadence at all. Yeah, I think there's some of that effect. Um, what's interesting, though, is that the weekends in recent years, pre-pandemic, um, were actually growing at much faster rates. So already there was some normalization and leveling out that was kind of organically happening as people um, started their shopping online. Um, so I don't think the effects are going to be quite as pronounced, uh, but you'll certainly see some of that. Yeah, and then another super funny trend in e-commerce is... I have a bunch of clients that see a spike at 2 a.m. on weekends, like after people get home from the bars. And I'm I'm curious what's going to happen this year when people aren't allowed to go to the bars. Well, I don't think people have stopped drinking at home. So uh, I think, you know. Yeah, but I, I, just just like the weekend weekday thing, they're drinking all the time now, right? They're spreading it out a lot more. But they're drinking a lot more and with access to a computer. So there's much more potential for drunk shopping. That could be worth the five points we're, uh, of what we're already seeing. There you go. It does bode poorly for returns, by the way, but yeah. <laughs> we'll have to run a panel with a breathalyzer kind of mixed with them. <laughs> um, let's dig into some categories. What are you? What are some winners and losers uh, that you're thinking for holiday 2020? Yeah, so I start with consumer electronics, huge category um, that, you know, in, in the last couple of years, I've been impressed with just the diversification in the category. There are so many interesting new smart home electronics. Um, at all sorts of different price points. So you've got that as a baseline. Uh, but then you have the gaming console wars coming in this year. And then an iPhone super cycle. Um, there's just so much there that that I think will drive that category to be the biggest winner of the season. So you're a believer that we're, we're in an iPhone super cycle? I think so. Even if it doesn't live up to expectations, um, it, it just it seems like people are, are ready for the next one. Cool. We need like a an audio clip, Jason, like super cycle or something like that next time. Um, I'll, I'll look into getting that added. Okay. Uh, have the audio team work on that. 
Uh, okay, sorry, I interrupted you. Keep keep going. What other categories are, are exciting? So uh, toys and hobbies, um, and in that we actually include uh, fitness equipment. So um, there's a lot of the digital fitness uh, trend, and then obviously toys. I think have just been generally elevated throughout the pandemic. So those should do well. Uh, home decor. I was actually surprised about this category because I always think of this as the second most discretionary category after apparel. Um, and I initially thought with the recessionary headwinds, this category would not do well. Um, and it's done very well. So, um, and especially with the winter coming, people are just going to be nesting, I think in, in, a, a you know, a significant way. So that category should do well. Food and beverage, uh, you know, this is sort of an extension of the grocery trend, uh, but we'll just lean more into specialty foods and um, alcohol, things of that nature. Um, as far as struggling categories, really the, the only one that I can spotlight as being in a tough spot is apparel. Um, so many factors there. Obviously, no demand for workwear, event wear at the moment, um, you know, athleisure, that pocket will do fine, obviously. Um, but then, you know, I think margins also can really get hit this season. Um, and they're almost competing with themselves in a way because they're going to have to unload a lot of inventory, um, at discounts. And so even their higher margin goods, you know, might be competing with, um, their own goods. So I, I just think those margins are really going to be compressed. I wouldn't be surprised by the way, if you had stronger sales, just because there's so much stuff at, at a great price. Um, but I, I can't see where the, the profits really come from. You have any thoughts on what the hot toy is going to be? I wish I knew that. Um, I've got young kids. I should know this stuff better, but I, I really don't know what the hot toy for the season is. Actually, I, I just got my Amazon catalog and I just started uh, leafing through it in the mail, but I did not look. Did you get a peek? Uh, I did. Yeah, I got the Amazon catalog. The I can't find any prices in it, though. It's so confusing. It's uh, You're supposed to use the... Uh, augmented reality on the Amazon app or scan the QR code, Scott. Oh, I don't believe in QR codes. That's a, yeah. Amazon has dynamic pricing, so they, they can't print a catalog with pricing because they change it all the time. I know. I'm just teeing you up for your, your QR code thing. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I'm going to go, uh, Mandalorian baby Yoda. Um, so that also helps with the bingo, uh, so they can check the star Wars square off of the bingo card. Yeah, I have a feeling Star Wars merchandise will do well for sure. Um, but you know what's won the last couple of holidays? And I feel like there's a bunch of new versions of it are all these lottery toys, like these surprise toys where you you buy it and have to open it to discover what you got. Yeah, the lol and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so that was last year's big. And I'm not sure it'll be the same one this year, but they're, uh, uh, everyone's leaning into that trend. So there are these, uh, like Mattel has a bunch of dolls. That uh, the the attributes of the doll are obfuscated in paint, and you have to dip it in water to reveal like what color hair you got and stuff like that. Um, so I I have a feeling um some of these surprise toys will will be high on the list, but we'll see. Uh, Andrew, you reminded me of one thing I wanted to slightly backtrack on. Uh, a factor we didn't talk about that I suspect may contribute in some way to the growth this year is there are several significant categories of spending that are down and the revenue from those categories is likely to move into retail, right? So you mentioned home uh, is, is looking like it's going to be really big this year. 
partly that is likely because people aren't going to be traveling as much. So instead of a vacation, you improve your your home. And uh, for sure, you know, restaurants used to get 40% of your calories, and restaurants aren't getting that right now. And so grocery and specialty food is getting all those dollars that weren't in your old definition of retail but are in in your definition of retail. So it kind of grows the whole pie, if you will. Exactly. And uh, you also have people canceling their gym memberships, and that's going right into fitness equipment and, and the new Peloton. Um, if you can't take your family on vacation, you may see uh, more jewelry gifting because you want to treat your spouse. Um, so there's all sorts of these little pockets of uh, consumer spending that are just getting redirected. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I think the jewelry people are worried about is if guys aren't out and about and misbehaving as much, they're not going to have as many reasons <laughs> to buy more jewelry. Um, but we'll, <laughs> that may be a specialty one. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, so what about, so you kind of hit on some of the categories. Let's talk about, uh, like, are there particular retailers that you think are going to be winners or losers and who, who should we be investing in? <laughs> I don't give investment advice, but, uh, Smart. Amazon's a pretty safe bet. I think they're going to have, uh, really, they've had, you know, an epic second quarter. And I think the fourth quarter is going to be historic. Uh, both with Prime Day and everything um, that's situated very nicely for them for the holiday season. Um, then I look at the high performers from the big box retailers, Walmart, Target, Best Buy, Home Depot. All of them have been growing their e-commerce business at you know 100% in some cases, or at least uh, north of 70%. Um, and they're also well positioned for click and collect. They will win those less frequent trips to brick and mortar. So extremely well positioned. So basically the rich are going to get richer. Um, and then, you know, I look at some other brands that have just performed, I think, exceptionally well in the pandemic. Uh, Peloton, uh, I think that's obvious and they've expanded their product line considerably and for lower price points. So I think that should open them up uh, to a much broader consumer base. Uh, Lululemon and Nike have made the transition to D to C so strong. I think that's a much more profitable uh, way to take their business. Um, and they've done surprisingly well at, at brick and mortar too. So I'd call it that whole uh, segment. Um, and then one other one that I think it could do really well is Etsy. Um, and what's interesting here is everybody kind of flooded onto Etsy for $5 masks and they got this big mask bump in the second quarter. Uh, but I think it introduced the platform to a lot of new consumers um, and, you know, it's always done particularly well in the holiday season or it's kind of best oriented to holiday gift giving. Um, so I'm very curious to see what happens when you mix those two things together. I think they could have a really strong Q4. That's that's totally interesting. Um, I hadn't thought about that. Like I was worried Etsy was going to struggle the comp against their mask quarter. But you're right. Like they onboarded a bunch of new customers and people stored payment. And um, yeah, that, that that makes total sense. That's a good insight. Um, in your, uh, written report, you picked one other winner that I was somewhat surprised by. Do you know who I'm talking about? Which was that? Uh, someone in the travel industry. Away. Yeah. I, in my mind, like I, they could be the relatively good performer, but it just seems like luggage has to be a category that's getting creamed right now. Well, it is. So this is relative. Um, so given that they got dealt 
maybe the worst hand of the pandemic or among the worst hands of the pandemic. Um, yeah, right I, behind Ticketmaster, maybe. <laughs> right. I, I'm, you know, I think they're doing some interesting things and they're expanding their product line and and they're generating some excitement. So with a lot of these D2C brands, I, I think to prove themselves, my question for them is what's your next act? I think Away is finding its way into its next act. Um, and they've had some kind of innovative products at lower price points that have worked well. Um, I'll be curious to see what their marketing messaging is. Cause what I would start to do is market to 2021, right? Like when we're out of this pandemic, you're going to want to take those vacations. You're going to want to go to those events, whatever the case may be. Um, I think there's an opportunity to start marketing a bit to the future. So while I think they still have a tough hand to play this season, I, I think you'll see some bright spots from them. One, uh, one fun fact, I watch this daily. Um, uh, we're recording this on the 20th. On the 18th, we surpassed a million travelers for the first time since the pandemic through airports. Now, that's down from 2.6 million year prior, but that's the highest level we've, we've seen since like March 10th or something like that. Yeah, you'll have to decide who you think has uh, is more prescient and, and uh, has less of a a biased reason, but um, so the CEO of United came out very strongly uh, that Zoom totally sucks and business travel is for sure going to return to 100% of its pre-pandemic level. Um, and then Bill Gates came out and said, there's no way business travel is ever coming back. <laughs> <laughs> and so maybe they both have self-serving reasons. It just occurred to me because Microsoft, I, I assume he still has a lot of Microsoft stock. Uh, Teams is a big player in the in the virtual meeting. So who knows? Who who do you think are going to be the losers in the pandemic uh, from a retail standpoint? So I, I think it's really just um, it, it's the stores that have the most mall exposure. Uh, so that really begins with department stores. Um, and obviously, this is a secular de- decline that's been happening, uh, but so driven by apparel. Um, it's not as easy for them to do click and collect. I just think they're in you know a tougher than normal spot. Um, and then one other retailer... Um, that I've, I've said in past years, you know, I thought was struggling with competition was Victoria's Secret. Um, you know, they had kind of the rise of the D2C brands, obviously some self-inflicted wounds um, with their own brand. Uh, but then this season, you know, one other thing that stacked against them, aside from having high mall exposure, is that um, they have a high dependence on their D2C business, uh, but low AOVs. Um, average order values. So what ends up happening is that, you know, that just totally eats away at whatever margin you had. Um, so I, I think they're just feeling it from, from every direction this season. Yeah, no, I, that certainly makes sense. I have a, a hypothesis that, uh, the pandemic more so than creating net new trends that never exist in the world, it's dramatically accelerating a lot of trends we were already seeing. And this is a perfect example, uh, Apparel and department stores already had headwinds, and those got accelerated. Victoria's Secret had more headwinds than most in apparel, and those, it feels like, also probably got exacerbated. Um, but one question I get asked a lot, and I don't uh, I don't have a super insightful answer, so I'm seeing if I can steal one from you, uh, is there, of the department stores, I get that the whole category is not looking awesome. Is there a department store that you think outperforms the rest of the market? Like, who's best position of the department stores? Nordstrom consistently. Um, I, I'm always impressed with the store experience. I, I feel 
good when I go into Nordstrom. I think they do a really nice job. Um, so even with so many factors stacked against them, I think they find a way to sort of keep their head above water. Um, I don't think this is going to be an easy season for them, but I would expect them to outperform uh, their competitors. Yeah, that's usually my go-to answer. But in the back of my mind, I'm nervous. Um, amongst other things, they closed a bunch of mainline stores. And so from a comp standpoint, it's it's going to be tricky for them. Yeah, they'll be able to bounce back eventually, but they'll they'll have to get through this cycle. Cool. Um, any other surprises or tidbits uh, you want to share before we wrap up? Uh, no, I just think this is uh, going to be a really, really interesting season as an analyst. Um, I, I kind of love pouring through all these variables and uh, trying to make sense of these orthogonal vectors, right? It's, they're, they're colliding in ways that are very difficult to predict. So um, I say very confidently that this forecast is probably going to be the most off of any forecast that uh, I've been a part of in the past. Um, and yet I still feel good about the, the logic and, and sort of the directionality uh, behind my thinking. So I hope that's what listeners take away is to understand sort of the why rather than uh, expecting me to nail that number on the nose. Yeah, let me let me poke at that just a tad. So so in the f- second quarter, um, we saw e-commerce grow 45 percent. Do you do you agree with that? Yes, I, our number is very close to that. Yeah. Yeah. So then Q3, it's uh, until I see the Amazon numbers, and I don't think the Census Bureau has opined on all of Q3 yet. Um, you know, it, it feels like it ticked down a little bit. Um, yeah. uh, what did have you guys said? What you thought Q3 was? Uh, I'd have to look back at that, but I, it's the relative low point in percentage. But I want to say it's still low 30s. Low 30s, right? Um, so then you're kind of saying, and we'll kind of so so now we're down in the low to mid 30s, and you're saying holiday will will go up a little bit. What if holiday is up like 45%? Does that, would that surprise you? What What's the cone of uncertainty? Do you think this is a plus or minus two points kind of thing here? Or could it go up as high as 45% from compared to your 35% forecast? So 45 seems a little bit high just because that was what we saw in Q2, which I really do think was the peak yeah. in terms. And, and also it's just always harder to grow at a more aggressive rate on a bigger base um, in the holidays, uh, that said, I, I definitely think we could see a number in the forties, um, not out of the question. And if that happens, I think it will be due to the fact that consumers actually did pull their spending forward and they were kind of consistently spending, um, during that, you know, middle part of November when I kind of expect that growth rate to dip for a while. Question for you. If we have a big number like that, traditionally, E-commerce has a much higher return rate than um, than brick and mortar, and since we're shifting so much sales to e-commerce, do you anticipate it's it's that we're going to have a rough end of holiday in terms of returns? Return again? Yes, I, I think that's very likely. Um, <laughs> return again, especially with with you know, listen. I think the volume of apparel sales will be strong, right? I don't think the profits will be there, but you will have a high volume. And if what what are it's like five to ten percent of apparel sales in store return, but it's like 30 or 40% um, online. So yes, this can be a a reverse logistics nightmare uh, come January. And if you, if you think capacity is limited for shipping all this stuff, uh, reverse logistics capacity is even more constrained. So that's going to be a mess. Yeah. It's good for Kohl's maybe. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, last question. Um, so we have these forecasts. Like, there's more uncertainty this holiday season than there's ever been before. Do you have any tips or tricks? Like, what would you be watching as we progress through the holiday? Like, do you look for earnings announcements from individual retailers that are sort of keystones? Um, you know, there's some vendors that have pretty big customer bases that report some digital data on their customer bases, like Salesforce or Adobe or people like that. Like, is there are there any favorite things you look for to tell you whether you're you're uh, over underperforming your forecast? Salesforce and Adobe are going to be your fastest, best reads early in the season because they'll they'll get reporting it pretty quickly and they'll update it. Um, those are very good temperature checks. You'll see some divergence. You know, there are some large retailers that may not be in their footprint, but they both have big footprints. Um, so as long as you can calibrate your thinking to understand, um, you know, where some of those biases might present, um, they're going to be your best temperature checks to kind of follow what's happening throughout the season. Cool. And, uh, when Jason said it was the last question, this is kind of not a question, but, um, where can people find you online? I guess it is a question. Uh, on Twitter, I'm, I'm more of a consumer than a tweeter at, at a Lipsman, uh, or you can find me on LinkedIn. Yeah. And then obviously eMarketer. And eMarketer. <laughs> <laughs> now part of insider intelligence. Yeah. And, uh, aren't, I feel uh, rumors about morning brew. Rumors are swirling. I'm, I'm reading them just like everybody else. And I know nothing. Feels like you guys are making moves, though. I saw some new job listings uh, come out this week in your organization as well. Yes, and uh, we just brought Zia Wigder in to uh, oversee our content team. Uh, so that's also exciting, especially given her retail background from Shop Talk. Yeah, side note, pet peeve on that. Um, before she left Shop Talk, she cajoled me into being a um, an expert in this like Shop Talk meetup that's happening as we're recording this over the next three days. And so she she booked me for like 36 meetings with random people over the next three days. And then she left. <laughs> Same. I'm, I'm enduring that as well. All of us. OK, well, I did yeah. four today. I've got six tomorrow and I think six the next day. So, um, yeah, she got us all. Yeah. It's Congratulations it's, it's, to Zia. Well played. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Boom. Throw a grenade on the way out. That is actually going to be a, a great place to leave it because we have once again used up all our allotted time. As always, if you enjoyed this show, uh, we sure would appreciate it if you jump on iTunes and give us that five-star review. If you have any questions or comments, you can hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Um, we will put uh, links to some of Andrew's uh, research in the show notes. The big research that he's talking about won't be published till slightly after this podcast, so... Um, we may have to append it to the show notes later. Uh, but Andrew, uh, really enjoyed catching up with you and really appreciate you sharing all this great insight with our listeners. Thanks for having me on, guys. Until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 